0: Now here is your host.
1: What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Exciting show today. I always say that. Exciting show today. Joe Tripp, chef owner of Harbinger in Des Moines, was on. Joe, thanks for taking some time.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on today. A lot of, I'm really excited to be here. You
1: know I'm excited. I said it multiple times already. However, fermentation. For anybody who knows me, you know fermentation, it's, uh, I'm partially fermented myself. You know, maybe that's too much alcohol, but a lot of it has to do with food fermentation. Over the years, it's been a big thing. You and I connected in a meaningful way, had an amazing meal at your restaurant. We got to geek out and uh, we speak the same language. So we're gonna get into that. We might lose some people as we go crazy down this rabbit hole of fermentation, that's okay. It's for you and me and the handful of nerds like us. So we'll talk about that. Before we get into kind of that story, Tell people specifically Harbinger. What's that all about?
0: Yeah, so Harbinger is a uh, chef-driven, um, you know, locally or hyper-local restaurant uh, on the historic Ingersoll District of Des Moines, Iowa. Um, I opened it about three years ago, and uh, we're going strong.
1: I love it. Cool cool spot. I, I really like, too, the first thing you walk in, the kitchen is, like, right there. Like, instantly, you feel the energy. You can hear the banter in the kitchen. I was struck by that right away, so... Uh, check it out. If you know, you know. And if you don't, get there. It was on everyone's top list when I came through Iowa last year, mostly doing brewery tour stuff, checking out and connecting with a lot of brewers out here as that scene has exploded. I said, where's sure. the three places I have to go? And you were on everybody's list and rightfully so. So that's great. All about acknowledging. Hey, that's awesome. So, let, right? That's... It's the best you can be. If other people in the industry say this is the spot, that's the spot. So... that's that's what Take we're shooting for. That's it. Take us back for you. When did you first catch the hospitality bug? How'd you get into this crazy industry?
0: You know, um, I graduated from the university of Iowa in, in 2008 and there w- it was a really bad market for getting a job and I was tired yeah. of school. I didn't want to go uh, to grad school and continue my education. your degree in? Uh, psychology and philosophy. So oh yeah. Really yeah. Not, much yeah. not much you can do. Yeah. Not much you could do with that. Uh, on the job market right out of school, especially in 08. Um, but I had been cooking, you know, mostly breakfast restaurants, nothing too serious, um, and I really liked it. So I figured I'd take a gap year, um, and that gap year has turned into a career. Um, I ended up moving to Colorado and working out in Denver for Alex Seidel uh, and under Chef Matt uh, vader um, It was a great opportunity, great experience. Those guys um, taught me a lot of what I know and really got put the passion into me uh, that that helped me develop what we've developed. Yeah, they'll do that. And
1: between fruition, which is legendary and, you know, Alex won a James Beard for his work over the years there and Mercantile, their farm, Alex and I have been talking a lot about what's happening at their farm. So they just connect the dots between like the land all the way to the plate in a very meaningful way. And I know that that really resonated with you. And so then you come back to Iowa and say, I'm going to open a restaurant. How did that come about?
0: You know, I moved, I moved back to Des Moines without really the intention of, of sticking around here. Um, I ended up getting a job for a place called Alba under Jason Simon, who um, he was a James Beard uh, nominee. And I want to say 2015, if my memory serves me right. Um, and I, I quickly grew into the sous chef role as they opened their second restaurant and eventually took the kitchen over um and it just kind of kept going, you know. And uh, I got to the point where I'd been nominated to twice myself um, yes, as congrats. the chef of Alba, and I was I was ready to do something. I approached Jason and said, "Hey, I'm I'm ready to do my own thing." And you know, he partnered up with me. He's been extremely supportive ever since. So,
1: oh, so he's actually a partner in the restaurant in Harbinger.
0: Yeah, yep, yep. Oh. Jason, Jason, and I opened that as a as a mutual partnership, and he's been giving me. You know the ins and outs of the business the money side of things um and it's been a very insightful help, certainly helped me survive uh these current times for sure
1: i mean the business is most of it the cooking tends to be the easy part tends to yeah. be the part that unfortunately for you you probably get to spend less time on than you'd actually want to but it empowers that everyone else can because you still have a yep. business so i think that's super important so let's uh let's talk let's talk fermentation i just want to get into it i'm chomping at the bit here fermentation hell let's give people a little definition when somebody says fermentation food fermentation they go joe what the hell does that mean you know what's kind of your answer to that i'm sure you get asked that question all the time
0: yeah you know fermentation is a process of preservation um usually through a development of of acidic acids lacto uh fermentation you know there's a bunch of different ways to approach it, but we look at it as a means of preservation, um, first and foremost. And secondly, it's a way to stretch our product yes. and make sure that uh, we're really using everything uh, that we have coming through the doors because we use expensive product. So um, it's a great way to use those mushroom scraps, the berry tops um, and everything, and also as a flavor enhancer. So it really does uh, expands our repertoire quite a bit just to have it in there.
1: Yeah, flavor enhancer is something that uh, I've noticed a lot. I think it's very interesting when we talk about the flavor of it because you're amplifying what feels so often as the purest form of that ingredient. And I didn't know that early on in the game. I mean, kimchi was really one of the first things that like got me into it and interested in it and, uh, and a couple hot sauces. Those are just by... the design of the base recipe are so intense already. I didn't understand the impact that the fermentation was having versus the ridiculous amount of chili and garlic and gochujang and things like that. So was there a first time for you when you realized, wow, this tastes more like cabbage, more like a radish than a radish does? Because it feels like that sometimes when you ferment something, you bring out a whole another level, especially umami that adds depth to it. Was there one ferment or a, an item that you tasted or an unlock for you kind
0: of in that flavor enhancer side? You know, recently we've we've kind of gotten away from fermenting for the sake of fermenting, which I think mm. is the way I see a lot of people doing it. now we use it as another way to push the flavor we have going on. So yeah. um, recently we've been making a fermented mushroom vinaigrette, uh, which is a dressing that we use for a lot of potato dishes, a lot of mushroom dishes. Um, and it doesn't necessarily stand out as a component as itself, but it really intensifies the mushroom flavor from the mushrooms that we have. Um, so like we just cleaned, you know, a bunch of chanterelle mushrooms. We, uh, we found in the woods this week and it was, what are we going to do with all the trimmings and all the stocks or stems from them? Um, and fermentation is always a great way to make use of that and to amplify, you know, what naturally comes out of the mushroom
1: the ability to take a single ingredient and we talk about this with salt a lot like you add salt in layers right it's ingrained in us because it's going to have different impact on flavor but also on texture and and cooking and so i think about that with with uh, fermentation as the ability to say how can i get the most mushroom into this mushroom dish and fermentation allows you a massive opportunity to to do that and so if you're talking about uh, let's let's just go with Iowa. I mean, one of the ingredients that I really really miss from being in Iowa is the morel mushrooms. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're the size of your fist out here. It's unbelievable, and just very simple, like like dipping a little bit of uh, of breading and and frying butter is kind of the classic here, which I'm a big big fan of. And I think about a dish like that, and I imagine the layers that you could create of of taking the ugly bits and the stems, and then all of a sudden creating uh, a little ferment out of that, and amplifying, and all of a sudden, like it, it takes it to another place. Talk about that. Talk about the ability to make a mushroom more complex than a mushroom.
0: Well, you know, it's it's bringing that natural umami acidity out of out of the ferment, right? So the chanterelle mushrooms that we just fermented will have a vibrant electric electric flavor that you wouldn't really pull out of the mushroom naturally. Like you're not gonna saute a chanterelle mushroom and get this natural acidity and umami flavors that you get when you lacto ferment something. And so just adding that drop in it. very few of my customers, if any, are going to say, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a fermented mushroom vinaigrette, but they're going to know it's a mushroom. You know, I I intensified the flavor profile uh, that we were going for. And then that ultimately by adding some salt to some, some scrap um, makes for a stronger dish uh, tenfold. So, Fermented
1: foods—they can be very scary to some people. They think right. of fermented foods, and kimchi is one of those things you think of. Or you think of fish sauce. You think of these funky, intense, it's, it's stinky feet. It's like farts. Like it's you know. And I get right. it. Sometimes there's yep. some some uh, intense aromas. But I think of I think of French cheeses, and some of the stinkiest cheeses are the sweetest, most delicious and delicate possible flavor profiles you can imagine. Fermentation is very similar, so. This is my approach, and and I'll kind of let you talk to it. I tell people all the time, it's like, you're into fermented foods. I bet you you had coffee today. When's the last time you had some yogurt, chocolate? And they go, wait, what? I was like, fermentation is a technique used so broadly that you are probably consuming multiple fermented foods and not even realizing it. And so that's kind of the way that people go, oh, okay, well, tell me more. Do you have a way that you kind of navigate that conversation with people, getting them to... To trust you i think is what it is
0: you know i think we usually avoid the word fermented on the menu just because it does have that we'll use the word soured a lot of times um because otherwise your menu would
1: say fermented like 17 times like a million (laughs) (laughs) times, exactly
0: (laughs) um but you know i think like you said giving it to them in a way they could relate of course kimchi is always one of the first ones that most people um but like you said you know once you start talking about beer and all the things that people know about on a day-to-day basis and, and talking about how they got from, that's not a natural product. That's a product that went through a process, yes. um, you know, giving them an idea that it isn't always funky. Um, it isn't always, you know, hit you in the face. Sometimes it's pretty subtle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the changes that you get out of the product from just a little bit of fermentation
1: can be pretty changing. Yeah. I'm with that hundred uh, percent. Your crew, as now fermentation is such the bedrock of your concept, clearly your ability to communicate the ethos of that, right? And then also the practical kind of techniques to it. So let's take some time. Let's take, you know, five minutes or so. Like I want to dig into a little bit, a lot of of cooks, a lot of emerging chefs that watch this show. I want to give them a little road back. Yeah, fermentation. I made a hot sauce one time. I made a kimchi one time. I, I don't know. But for you and I, it's like, this is, this is the future of food, full stop. Fermentation is the future of food. The way that you go about that is multitudes of ways. For you, communicate with your team, new cook walks in the door, what's the conversation like? Let's take us through that process with getting somebody on board and then we'll get into some techniques uh, that yeah. you're trying to
0: teach. For sure. Um, so we really do keep things pretty simple and explain to the cooks um, you know, what, what we are and that is we're, we're a business first and foremost. Um, and I like to kind of teach my cooks um, the numbers game. That was something that I never, never learned as a as a chef growing up. It was something that I learned, you know, from Jason, my business partner. Um, but it's definitely something that I've grown and gained an appreciation for. And fermentation allows us an opportunity to make sure that the very expensive and labor intensive products that we work with, that we get in, don't go to waste. And that not going to waste not only respects the ingredients. Uh, at a new level, which hopefully brings um, my cooks, you know, to respecting that ingredient in a whole new level. But it also stretches my bottom dollar, which is is important. It makes the dish better um, in a multitude of ways. It makes my cook better because they appreciate the ingredients they got. They know the value that they have. And so, you know, that's the first step is explaining, hey, this isn't just a mushroom. This isn't just a potato. Somebody grew this potato and we paid a lot of money for this potato and here's how we're going to respect how how we got that and so a lot of it is basic level introductory uh, lacto fermentation you know for the most part we'll start off by saying hey we're, we're going to add two percent salt to this uh, we do a lot of fermentation in the back in the vacuum sealer yep. we'll bag it on high we'll let it sit for seven days they always get you know five to seven depending on temperatures but they always get amazed. Oh, the bag balloon. Like, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, right. It's, it's introductory, you had any but it's. Yeah. Uh, maybe one or two, you know, a couple. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh the one of the early times messing with the vacuum sealer, and it was a kimchi that uh, went long and exploded. And I come in in the morning, my dishwasher is scraping what looks like, uh, brain matter, red brain matter off of the ceiling. And uh, I was I'm not allowed to, uh, to to ferment things for a little while. My dishwasher put me on uh, on timeout. It was uh, pretty intense. Anyway, so actually, I want to segue now. I want to get back to your people, but something you said really important: money like a business runs on money. Your ability to take the ridiculously slim margins within a restaurant and extend them. I'm interested in that and I think people need to pay attention to that. There is a massive opportunity for money saving. Waste in your kitchen, if you get to three, four, 5% waste, which is averages that you see and get that down to 1%, that's serious money, like you need to run that math. So I, I wanna like hover on that for a minute How then do you also do something that I'm sure that you do? You're buying more than you need within a given season so that you get that product at peak. Cash flow, you're spending $1,000 instead of the $500 that you actually need of that product for this given quarter, right? What's the the reasoning for the investment? Why not just spend the $500? You're spending $1,000 to then use that product in November. Give me the insight there versus like why you're investing that money now to then use it later.
0: The nice thing is that usually fermentation acts as a, as a secondary product for something that we're looking to work with. So, you know, right now we're working with, but we're actually getting ready to do um, some fresh, some tasting menus for the first time since being closed down this weekend. And wow. so we have had a few things kind of going in the, in the works. Um, and we've had a lot of berries in over the, over the spring that we've kind of worked on jarring and canning and preserving in different ways. Um, but we have a lot of scrap for that. And so, you know, we made a summer berry or spring berry uh, vinegar out of it. Um, and so now we're, we're going to, we, A, we got the first product, right? But now I got a secondary product. I got something um, additional. So I am still going to make, you know, as, as a chef, I'm still going to be able to turn around and get a product off, off the first thing, off the berries. But then in the wintertime, I'll have a summer berry vinegar or a wild berry vinegar, whatever we end up doing. Uh, that I'll be able to get uh, another push of something off of. And that's that's ultimately what we look to do is how can I not only use this in November, but how can I get two productions off of this, two products off of this? Um,
1: yeah, so and another layer to that that I know that you're aware of, I want to make sure people know, is you're going to also get the best price because if you're buying 100 pounds versus 10 pounds, we know price breaks at volume. So all of a sudden you're able to, get that berry into the November menu at a low, low, low price because you bought at volume or you took the, the, a small farmer's entire crop, like things like that change the economics of it, Absolutely. which is a very important thing to, to consider. And then you're not stuck using, trying to use berries from Chile in November that cost November. three times as much, you're using the fermentation. Do you also see an opportunity Uh, ramps i think of ramps we coming up uh, as chefs we get ramps for two weeks in the springtime and we would do a thousand and fifteen things with them and then we'd always pickle them and then try and keep them towards the later in the season because they're really good but also because ramps sell like the price point you can put on a menu item with ramps on it is is up there right and Absolutely. so the opportunity for saying here's a morel mushroom ferment in november that gets people going wait a minute i love morel mushrooms and you get a little bit of kind of brand and like quality expectation
0: from that then you can charge for it yeah well and and if you're and if you're smart about it and you do something you know that morels driving the price point that word sells but you do it something with you know an, an agreeable protein all of a sudden you're able to really sell something. Um, with some excitement that you might not have had, had in it before. Um, so there's always, you know, the ability to people see, like you said, see morels, see strawberries. We love using strawberries in January and February um, because people know we use local products and how did we get that product if, if it's January and February. So we get to tell a story too. Um, and those stories and being able to connect people to a product, to a farmer, I mean, ultimately is what people pay us for. So. Um, It's just a good business strategy. It's a good way to get my clients excited about how things got to their plate, and how we work with these farmers um, and the connections that we've made with them to really represent the products that they've grown.
1: Let's go back to your staff, your team. How are you connecting that? So storytelling clearly important. You're doing it through food and then you're layering on top fermentation, which is something that is in your ethos. It's also practical. It's good business. It tells a compelling story and it's delicious. So it checks a lot of boxes for you, which is why we're friends. It checks a lot of boxes. And I think more people need to pay attention to that. So when you're talking to your team and you're connecting them to the farmers, how are you going about that? And then I want you to also touch on when you're talking about your farmers and your team uh, foraging, because I know you got a a, a guy foraging for you as well. That I think is a a whole nother level that people need to be thinking about in the industry.
0: Yeah, so, you know, we, we make really close connections with all of our purveyors, um, farmers, but I mean, even our plates in our restaurant are handmade by Iowa artisans. Our soaps, our candles are hand-poured, um, and I think that's really important. That's the main driving point between, with what we do at Harbinger's. it's all about Iowa. It's all about what we do, who we are, and how can we support our community. Um, and so my guys know the guys that throw the plates. They know the guys that are pouring the candles. Um, you know, we go out and see the farms that we're working with. And just yesterday we went out about an hour South of of Des Moines and went chantrelle mushroom hunting, uh, with one of our farmer friends. So, you know, it's, it's always good for the crew to get out of the kitchen a little bit, um, see beyond the four walls and see, uh, the whole entire process. So often as a, as a, as a chef, you're like locked in a kitchen. Um, one of the, first things I liked about my restaurant that we opened is we got a big old window so we could see into the outside world. And Imagine I think that. Seeing, yeah, right. And that's nice. I love, I love seeing the sun. Um, and so we can look out into that world and, and kind of have connections with it. And so getting my cooks to appreciate, you know, how the product got to us, um, has been a huge point in getting their interests in making all the sacrifices that the restaurant takes to make, because we do work Long hours, um, you know. It's it's not. Everyone knows it's not the highest paying industry. Uh, I I tell my cooks I try to raise, I try to teach chefs, not teach line cooks. So, um, you know, they're they're there for the education, and I see it as as my responsibility. Just as the chefs that I worked under were able to teach me uh, how important those connections are and how important that product is, you know, I'm able to teach my cooks that. And so, fermentation is a way to really expand on that respect for the ingredient and what we have to work with.
1: Does it make them better cooks? Yeah, I I mean, I know the answer to that and I'm gonna frame it like this. You're not teaching them a knife skill. You're not teaching them how to baste fish. You're not teaching them any French or Japanese cooking terms through like the process of like, this is how you upper say something. Like the things that, you know, we're taught coming up or you're taught in school, you're teaching them something completely different. It is an ethos. It is a way of seeing your responsibility as a chef. It's the way of seeing the way that you interact with your community, with the lands, with the food, with your guests. Does it make them a better cook? Why can it make them a better cook if it has nothing to do with cooking?
0: Yeah, I mean, even if you know how to cook a piece of fish, unless you care about it, you're gonna fuck it up. Um, And you know, my kid, my cooks all care about their food. I don't have anybody in my restaurant who has worked in a Michelin star restaurant. Most of my guys were, were green, were brand new into the kitchen starting with me, and they've been with me, um, some of them upwards of the whole entire time of three years. Um, but I could teach them to care. If I could teach them to care, then they care, and I can teach them how to cook a piece of fish. And, and getting them to care and getting them to get to that point where they respect things and respect how I got to where I am. Um, and respect the how the product got into the restaurant and respect the whole entire process, um, then it's just teaching them how to cook food.
1: And as we mentioned from the business owner, chef owner standpoint, the food is the easy part. Easy. Yep. It's really, really hard, but it is the easy part in comparison because it's what you know. It's come so natural. It's all the things that lead to it. We've been talking about it on this show a lot. It's not what's on the plate. It's who gets it to the plate. That's what really, really matters. And that's clearly what you're really putting into your ecosystem from the farmer, the forager, the guest, the staff itself. Let's talk about your team for these last couple of minutes a little bit more. Introduce us to some of the people and why you as a leader are so lucky to have some of these people on your team. Who are some of the people For in the sure. kitchen, front of house? I can't remember who, but you, the bartender the night I was there was absolutely amazing. knew Everything about the menu. Like I was really, really impressed. So education and communication is clearly important, but who are some of those people? Tell us about it. Yeah,
0: ab- absolutely. Um, shout out to sous chef AU Alvarez. AU has been with me since the get go. Um, you know, he's one of those kids that came into the restaurant with no kitchen experience. Um, he started at the bottom, I think on week two, he was in tears out of frustration and shot. He started in the middle of restaurant week. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So he, 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 got thrown into the burners there right away. Um, but you know, he's, he's climbed a long ways. He's put in a lot of sacrifices, a lot of time and, and that's because he cares. Um, and so, you know, big shout out to him. He's really helped me through, uh, these last couple months as has everyone, my front of the house manager, uh, Caitlin Kennebec. She's been with me, uh, I think two, maybe two and a half years uh, yeah, two and a half. Um, she started as, you know, a server. She had been a cheesemonger monger before. Um, obviously very passionate about food, um, but we brought her in. We took her uh, to get her introduction for her SOM test and she's working towards getting her level one. I took her to Japan in January to teach her a little bit about wow. um, Asian cuisine. My kitchen's going to Vietnam. Well, we were supposed to go to Vietnam in January, but I don't see that happening, unfortunately. But I, yeah. I think, you know, getting these, these guys in and trying to get them to get excited about learning, um, the ones that have stuck with me are the ones that want to learn. Uh, and, and AU and Caitlin are, are two of my strongest people. Um, they've both shown an incredible amount of initiative and excitement to learn. They've never said no to an opportunity. And, you know, I'm incredibly and eternally grateful for them.
1: It's awesome. I love that. Why is it important for you to take your team? You mentioned the window. I mean, I think now the number one takeaway, a lot of good stuff in here. The number one takeaway is put a fucking window in your kitchen. Can change, can Huge. change everything. For you, getting them outside the four walls from the farms and all that, but you're going even further. You're taking them, transporting them to somewhere completely different where they can see not just humans doing what they do, but a completely different perspective on food, beverage, hospitality, all of that. Why is that a part of your business
0: model? I mean, you got to really love food and beverage to, to do this, to be in this game. You know, it's it's not an easy job. Um, you know, part of the reason that I am a I am a chef, I am I do what I do is I love to eat first and foremost, number That's one good. thing in my life. I love to eat and drink. I travel to eat and drink. Yep. Um, and it's it's that passion that is that has allowed me to survive. Um, you know, the hardships that a lot of people drop out of, and trying to get. That passion into them um, makes my team better. It makes them better cooks and gives them an insight uh, in, into what it takes and what the possibilities are with it.
1: It's we'll we'll end with this. It's preservation. That's
0: what it is. It, you're preserving and preserving. you're
1: allowing them the opportunity to flourish in November. We've been talking about November a lot. I think that's amazing, Joe. Really appreciate the conversation. I. We talked about this a little, this is even deeper. I really really see how you connect all the dots to it. Everything you're doing is with intention and it matters and I can tell that, you know, the food was of the utmost, the service, the expectation of quality, the team. When I watch a kitchen, I'm not watching what comes out of the kitchen. I'm watching the way that the cooks look at the food. And I could tell when I was there, they look at it with care. I mean, that was a great word. They had care for it there was purpose in the way that they looked at it not just putting it on the plate so joe i really appreciate it thank you so much for talking and uh, keep doing what you're doing have a great day hey thanks for talking with me it's a lot of fun appreciate it. I love it cheers what it takes care and preservation two big words care and preservation i think sophie i think we're going to start a uh like a thesaurus or a dictionary of words, I think of words like momentum was an early on word that Kyle Hildebrand, who was on the show, uh, put in my head. Motivation grit came up. I love the word grit. We're going to care and preservation. Two new words to the lexicon of best served. That's what we're going to do. We're going to create our own thesaurus of the important words within hospitality. So appreciate that. All right, Sophie. What is the one thing, come on in here, what is the one thing that you learned about fermentation after hearing from us? William put in, he was like, I actually understand you. And I was so ready when you said um, you were going to go deep. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm here with my Google is up. I'm ready to Google these things. And I understood most of it and I was so happy. Um, yeah, you know, I uh, at certain I was time, I was like, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna ranks. talk about some stuff that nobody's ever heard of. Right. And and you know what? It just felt more natural just to stay on the surface and keep talking about the way it connects to their ethos because it's clearly so, so important. He's a technician, but he's more of a philosopher. And so it felt more natural to stay in the philosophy. He's got that degree side right. of it. That's a that's why i ask questions he
0: learned yeah because he got something out of college
1: he got something out of college he's a philosopher and he's Mm -hmm. applying that psychology more than he's applying technique which is why i stuck with psychology look i love it somehow i get lucky things that work really really well so all right that's it for today uh i'm gonna work on staying under 30 minutes that's our goal sophie is under 30 minutes and uh, and great. I'm glad everyone understood everything. Sophie, uh, appreciate you. Joe Tripp, amazing stuff. Great week thus far in Iowa. And we'll continue on tomorrow. That's it. That's all I got for you. Appreciate you guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and
0: connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.